Hello and welcome to the first episode of StirPod Reviews. My name is Chloe Liddell and I'm here with the StirPod committee, David, Holly and Ed. Every episode, each of us will be reviewing a different topic or subject, such as film and TV, podcast, piece of literature and the well card. This will rotate every episode with everyone bringing something new to the table. I am reviewing a film. I watched this in the cinema the day it came out and then rewatched it for the first time yesterday. So I'm uh, reviewing Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse because I love it. I'm obsessed with this film and everyone needs to watch it. It's an absolutely incredible animation. Even if it had like a terrible storyline, I would have been like just happy just seeing such beautiful artwork and then seeing stills in like minute details every single shot you could probably spend hours and you wouldn't see everything that's in it but then thankfully it does have an amazing storyline it's amazing cast amazing soundtrack it's honestly i would probably say it is a near perfect film the only part that's not perfect is that we're gonna have to wait so long for the next part and i'm dying to figure out because the ending was oh my god it was so painful to watch but it is honestly such an incredible film everyone needs to watch it all the characters are amazing their dynamics are amazing every one of them is so amazingly designed drawn voice acted i think everyone should watch it like it is probably a must watch for any fans of animation and even non-fans so i'm not a spider-man fan at all Mm. never was do you have to be a spider-man fan to enjoy this no Final is like the only Marvel film that I can actually watch and enjoy. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, I've never seen that Spider-Man, though. I think it's because it's in partnership with Marvel. So it's a Sony film. Oh, okay. But is this, is this, this is the animated, not the guy. Who was the guy that was playing, like, Peter Parker? Tom Holland. So it's not him? No, it's Miles Morales. So obviously there is, because of the multiverse aspect, there is versions of Peter Parker, but not every Spider-Man is Peter Parker. So this is Miles Morales, who is Spider-Man. Since, since it is, it's the sequel to, to the Spider-Verse, mm. my question is, and it's my question for all sequels, is how well does it stand up as an individual film? Because I get that most of the time we think, well, yeah, it's got to progress the story and build off of the first one, but I'm also not a fan of sequels that rely so heavily on you have to have seen the first one in order to sort of get anything about the second one. So would you say that you could watch this without having seen the first one? I, th- I think you could. I think you would get so much more out of it watching the first one. It's the story so much about him growing up. And if you don't see really see where he starts from at the start of the film, obviously he's still got a lot of growing up to do, but then seeing that first kind of the growth from him not being Spider-Man to being Spider-Man is very important. So I feel like it isn't necessary to watch it, but I don't think that's a bad thing that it's necessary to watch the first one. The first one is a great story on its own. How, how they did it in the sequel just adds so much more. Like, I feel like you could watch it, but I feel like you just, you, you get so much more from seeing the full picture and the full story. The last Spider-Man film I saw, this is out, Spider-Man 3 with Tobey Maguire. Now, personally, I thought that was a dreadful Spider-Man film. Um, how does it compare to other live-action Spider-Man? Because obviously, there is a jump. 
going animation and... But then surely the comparison is which is the better of the two. Well, yeah, I'm personally going to find Spider-Man 3 was a terrible movie, but I know it was really popular. Like, people loved it. Is it? Yeah. I thought that was universally kind of... Oh, maybe it was hated. I don't know. The first one was good, and then the second one was like... Oh, I never saw the first one and two out of those ones. I feel like animation is just always superior. That's just my opinion. Right, okay. Animation is just always superior. But then also I feel like with other Spider-Man movies, it's very, they're very solitary characters. Like they are focused on Spider-Man. Whereas the other ones, they bring in the other Spider-Man characters or Spider-People. One of the secondary main characters is a Spider-Woman or Gwen Stacy, who is obviously another uh, character that appears because of the multiverse system. There's obviously tons of different worlds that have their own aesthetic, own rules, own positions for their characters. And then obviously the second film goes into that way more about how all of those connect and bounce off each other and how things you do in one world can affect everything. The other thing that I have seen about it, which I think some people have said that it did well and then some people have maybe criticised it for not doing it as well as it could have, is that it's it's kind of set up as being part one of a part two. Like yes. It's kind of been two parts, basically. Yeah, it does stand up as, as its own film, but then it wasn't a surprise that it was going to be a part one and part two. Like, that was known beforehand. I think some people didn't know, but I, I mean, I personally knew that it was going to be a part one and part two so i think that information was public now that i'm thinking about it it does kind of rely on it it having a part two but there is so much story that goes on and so much like development that goes on in the first part that like hints a lot of what's going to happen in the third part can can i ask a question about animation because obviously it's animated so obviously animated films cover a broad range and so for me like i i find studio ghibli work amazing Mm. But then you've also got, like, on the other spectrum, you've got things like DreamWorks and Monsters, Inc. So, and then you've got Disney somewhere kind of between the two, depending on what Disney's feeling like at the time. So what, what animation style is this? Is this computer animated or is it hand-drawn? So much. There's so many yeah. different styles. There's a whole segment that's animated in Lego. Oh, right. So they hired a 14-year-old to animate the entire Lego section. I because like I heard about this. Cause, yeah, because there was a 14-year-old, I don't know his name, but... He animated the trailer, like he did it himself, animate the trailer in Lego. And then the directors saw this and hired him to animate the entire Lego section of the movie. They're come from different universes, so they all look different. So the art style is di- so different. So there's some hand-drawn, there's some, like most of it is obviously computer generated, but then some of it is like, it looks like paint on a canvas. So like an entire world looks like paint on a canvas. Like, everything just has such a unique colour palette. So I feel like it's very... It's kind of a mix. Like, I can't compare it to anything like Disney and DreamWorks. Like, it's just... It's so unique. So I'm stuck on the fact that there's a 14-year-old who's achieved far more than I have. I'm 20 years older than him. Final question, then. What mm-hmm. would you rate it out of 10? 9.5. What made it lose the 0.5? Your point about it, like, it's obviously it needs the part two to have a complete story. This episode, I have a podcast to share with you all, especially if you are fans of music as well as podcasts. It is the What Is Music, a music podcast about music. It's a very funny podcast that I've found myself really, really enjoying. It was only three or four weeks ago that I actually 
found it and listened to the first episode. Basically, it's uh, these three three guys, Adam Scott Glasspool, Lucas Way, and Steve Murphy. And each season, they choose a different artist and they, they go through their entire discography, going through it album by album, track by track, and they cover kind of side projects and, and everything. So it's a real deep dive into each artist. As a massive Radiohead fan myself, that was what I was searching for. I was searching for a Radiohead-related podcast, um, try and learn even more because I'm very obsessive about things. So I was sort of going, I need even more information. And I found some because uh, their fourth series is called Is It Rad In Your Head? It started even before their first album and talked about how they formed initially and all their EPs and everything like that. And album by album, covering live performances, spin-off work and solo stuff. But I found that it wasn't the Radiohead content specifically that hooked me and like kept me. It was the chemistry of the of the guys and their their styles of humour, often quite sarcastic, quite dry wit and not afraid to rip into each other. I just I recommend it if you are at all like me and you like really knowing things about like in specific areas. So I know they've covered the Manic Street Preachers, they've covered Muse, Billy Eilish, Radiohead and I think they're now covering Lauren Hill. You know, if, if anyone is a fan of any of those artists, wants to learn a bit more about them, and also be entertained and have a, a bunch of laughs while they do it, I highly recommend it. Do they tend to do more, I, I don't want to say obscure, but like lesser known bands and artists? Or, I mean, I think Radiohead is by far the artist with the biggest maybe status, I would say, that they've covered so far. Maybe Billie Eilish in terms of current popularity. Should I listen just to find out who, who she is? Well, that's the thing is, I, I do think so, because I, I, at first I just thought, oh, I just want to listen to the Radiohead uh, stuff. But the more and more it went on and the more and more I, I just enjoyed listening to them and, and you know, the inside <laughs> jokes that crop up and, and their chemistry, it's so, it's so nice and uplifting that I now do plan to go back and listen to... I definitely want to try the Muse one. I probably will listen to the Billie Eilish one as well, just because I've heard some of their stuff, but not all of it, and I definitely don't know a lot about them. Whereas with the Radiohead one, I already came into it knowing a lot of the stuff that they talk about and knowing kind of their whole discography. But even then, still, there was more to learn and just new perspectives to see everything through. We're trying to find out if how much the context of, you know, when uh, an album was recorded, how it was recorded, uh, what the band or artists were going through at that time, how does that context uh, affect your listening and your enjoyment of it? Uh, does knowing about the history uh, and the cultural impact of the artist affect your appreciation of their output? Um, and, and I really like that. I really like the sort of trying to get into the context surrounding uh, the music, even more so than just the music itself. So um, I don't know who they plan to cover next. I know they run fan polls and Patreon like discussions and stuff like that, so I'll have to wait and see. But yeah, I recommend if you if you like any of the, the artists they have covered, definitely check them out. If you like music or just want to, maybe you want to get into any of the artists they've talked about, then it's a definite recommendation. It's a, it's a 10 out of 10 podcast mm -hmm. for me. Do you think it is a good way to 
get into it if you know, if you know nothing, I've heard nothing, or do you recommend going in with at least like some knowledge? I'm I'm fairly sure, and I know I haven't yet done that, like go into one of their seasons with no knowledge of it, but I'm fairly sure that you will be able to because at least in the Radiohead season, and I kind of assume in some of the other seasons as well, one of them will definitely kind of know all their stuff and be ready to share all that information. One of them's there, maybe knows some of the stuff, but doesn't really have much of a an appreciation for the cultural impact and the context. And then the other one's kind of in the middle. Sometimes they, they can sometimes get on board with the context, but sometimes they just like it because you know, it's a good song or, or, or whatever. So it's a nice balance. So you, you'll probably find that you are kind of one of the three in that sense. Like you might be some, you might be a big fan. So you might be like, oh, I kind of know all this stuff. You might be, I've never heard of them or, or, or this band and go in with nothing. Or you might kind of be a bit in the middle. How long are each episode? Sorry, that's quite an important thing. I mean, they are quite long because because they're quite, they're kept casual and this yeah. kind of discussion review as they go along. I would say... They're usually maybe on average about an hour and a half to two hours or something. Like you really can just put it on. I don't want to say you put it on in the background, but you, you can. You don't have to be really attentive to it. But I've also found that I fly through the episodes. I mean, there was only a few weeks ago I found them. And just earlier today, uh, I started listening to their final episode on the Radiohead season. And there's something like 300 odd hours in that season. This is a quick podcast. Very, very, in in that sense. But as I said, there's other seasons with uh, other artists, so happy to move on. Okay, so I will be reviewing the book I'm Glad My Mum Died by the former child actress Jeanette McCurdy. You might know her from Sam and Cat and iCarly, which I personally didn't watch. So the Nickelodeon star describes a dysfunctional childhood spent trying to please her narcissistic mother in this simultaneously dark and hilarious memoir. Speaking from the voice of each age she was allows McCurdy to make this memoir into something more than just her life story. It's a mimicry of her life artistically and intimately encapsulates the cruelty of her mother's love. It also details her struggles as a child actress, as well as eating disorders, addiction, OCD, depression, and relationships. It sounds pretty depressing, but McCurdy is somehow able to pepper in this dry and sarcastic humour that breaks up these issues for the reader to create a balance. So it's not it's not as depressing as I'm making it sound. And the ending shows how she retook control of her life after the death of her mother, which is not only uplifting, but shows people that they can move past their traumas. And that's kind of as much as I can say without spoiling it. It's not really a book you can spoil, I don't think, because you kind of know the title tells you that her mum dies. <laughs> so you know that that's coming. And you kind of know that she's had a rough upbringing because you'll have heard a lot about this book before. Well... It is shaking his head. <laughs> right. Chloe, I, Chloe knows. I, I know. Did, do you know, David? Uh, I, I know a little bit about the context of the book and, yeah. and, and vaguely who she is. But. Yeah. So I heard a lot about it on TikTok, and I'm not, like, a huge reader, but I it just looked like something that I would enjoy. I, and I did actually finish it, and I'm not good at finishing mm-hmm. books, so that says that it was actually quite good. How long did it take, roughly? And, like... What, is it like a really quite long 
book or? It's kind of medium. It's not short, but I wouldn't say that it's overly long either. My attention span is not fantastic, so I often read like a page at a time, but I couldn't put this one down. How, how did you read this one? Because that's quite an uh, interesting question, kind of sociological. With eyes? No, no, no. As in, was this a physical book? Was it an e-book? It was a physical book that my mum bought me in Glasgow Central train station. When I told her that I wanted that one, she was a bit shocked because it's called I'm Glad My Mum Died. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's it's, it's one that's yeah, it's one that's like tips. weird if you ask for. It's been on my to be read list for a very long time. It's, it's quite dark. Mm. I would say like if you're not into if you're into sort of more uplifting books or like a light read, it's definitely not a light read. I would say there's probably trigger warnings for like eating mm. disorders, OCD. I think there's talk of suicide and. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of dark and depressing themes, basically. So if you're not into that, don't read it. But it is also a very good book. So I would recommend it. Uh, would you recommend it to people who don't know who she is? Yes, because I didn't really know much about her. I just knew that she was a child star. I was a Freeview child, so I didn't have so- Nickelodeon. But I did know that she was a child star. And I find sort of delving into the likes of Drew Barrymore... Lindsay Lohan. Mm. Going to ask about that. Not specifically those ones, but I was thinking Judy Garland, uh, Macaulay Culkin. How does this compare to classic stories? Like, I mean, Judy Garland was pill pushing and trying to lose weight and all of that mm. when she was a real young child. Oh, yeah. How does it compare to that kind without of Without giving too much away, her mum was a psychopath. Like, well, not down. She was definitely a narcissist when you read it. You can tell that she was definitely that. Was her mum yeah. trying to live her dreams yes, her child mm, too? Yes, exactly. Yeah. I think there's a scene where, as a child, she was writing... I don't know if she was writing her own script or writing her own book, and her mum was like, this isn't what you want to do. You want to be an actress. And then, like, basically just threw away her writing. And now she's created this book that's a bestseller <laughs> across the world and is being talked about by m- millions mm. of people. I am. I was a big, massive fan of... Sam and Kat and iCarly and to think about if you're thinking about her character mm-hmm. and at knowing what she was going through at the time yeah. especially because there's a lot that's come out about the creator of those those yeah. shows a lot's come out about him now is there any reference to him and that stuff in the book? there's times when he is a bit dodgy mm-hmm. but it's not th- that side of it isn't too dark it's more that he's just a bit of a creep yeah, I think, I think yeah. a lot of it was already public knowledge by that yeah. point i've there's a lot of um deep dive youtube videos mm-hmm. about all about um all, a lot of the nickelodeon shows that were all managed by him yeah i've not read the book but i i watched a lot of those shows and was like when watching the drama or the all the information come out about them and about him he made a lot of false promises to jeanette mm. mccurdy like saying that she would get her own show and then she ended up getting a show with Ariana Grande and it wasn't her own show and like she thought that was like a downgrade in her career because she obviously holds herself to really, really high standards. I've given quite a lot away about the book. Um, It is public knowledge, so if you already knew a little bit about her, but this is in her words, which is really interesting. I would, I can't really fault the book to be honest, so it is probably a 10 out of 10. 
So, my wild card review today is on the longest serving British Prime Minister, Robert Walpole, first Earl of Walford, who served for over 20 years in a single term, which is longer than the combined term of any other single British PM. Walpole served from 1721 until 1742. He is also considered to be the first de facto PM of Great Britain. Why? Why? So, why is he the wild card or why is he a success? I, I think we're all thinking, why did you choose this person? It's as yeah. probably the most random thing. Yeah, we were looking you for a benchmark chosen. and I, I don't yes. think it was this. Okay. I don't think that's what I was expecting. Well, it is, who knows, we'll build off this. <laughs> there was a, a video that was going around social media recently where this guy did this. He took an interview with Liz Truss and he then asked questions as though he was the one interviewing her and he cut it together and it was really funny and stupid. But it also reminded me that she was the shortest serving prime minister. So I wanted to look at what success looks like because to me it feels like it's been a long time since we had a successful prime minister who's achieved something amazing. What was great about him, he's a good negotiator and a mediator of disputes. He was pretty much a pacifist, which I think is amazing, considering, you know, how war-hungry British prime ministers historically seem to have been. Can I ask, what does pretty much a pacifist mean? <laughs> I say pretty much because I don't want to say he would have called himself that. But every time war was an idea, he tried to not let it happen. The reason he stopped being Prime Minister was because the British Navy lost a battle in a war that he had advised everyone not to fight, called the War of Jenkins' Ear, which was against the Spanish. So the Spanish were like, British ships are not allowed to trade in Spanish ports in the West Indies and South America. And the British government agreed, so there wasn't war, but the Spanish insisted that they'd board ships to check that this was being kept. Anyway, a sailor called Jenkins claims that when the Spanish boarded the ship he was on, they cut off his ear. And so the war became the War of Jenkins' Ear. Robert Walpole said to the king, said to his cabinet, said to parliament, we don't want to go to war with the Spanish. He was right. We didn't. But we did. And everyone ignored him. Also, because he avoided war, he was able to lower taxes, he lowered the national debt, he avoided war, and basically he, held, uh, he improved kind of the standards of living for most people. Also, I think what's pretty impressive, he is a politician who, quite early on in his career, before he became PM, he was, he was impeached by Parliament, he was found guilty by the House of Lords. He was in prison for six months in the Tower of London, but... He wasn't actually guilty of any of it. It was just the opposition basically fabricated charges against him. And they were ruling at the time. Just because I don't know about any of this, really, is that 100% true or is there any... Do we need, like, to, do we need to cite our sources? Yeah, do we need to cite any Harvard referencing. Say, like, oh, this Allegedly. has been disputed. Alleged. <laughs> it probably is the case, but... That particular incident, yes. At the end of his career, his own party kind of kicked him out because, first of all, he was against the war. So he won three elections and he kept losing majority. And his last majority was 
dropped, I think, down to about 14 to 18. He was kind of kicked out by another prime minister who wasn't prime minister at the time, William Pitt the Elder. But anyway, he was kind of kicked out by him, but he wasn't. He, he actually did something really... He knew the writing was on the wall. So instead of resigning, he decided to use this kind of Commons investigation vote on this as a, as a de facto vote of confidence, which he lost. So he went to the king to resign, and the king is said to have cried and begged uh, Walpole to visit him regularly. And then uh, the king elevated him to the House of Lords, and then he resigned five days later from the government. And yet, whilst he was in the Lords, um, he became like a really important advisor to the Whig government that followed him, who had basically tried to push him out. You said they served for 20 years. What, from what year to what year? This is the great debate. Officially, a lot of the time it's counted from 1721 until 1742. From 1721, he became First Lord of the Treasury, Chancellor of the Exchequer and Leader of the House of Commons. But First Lord of the Treasury is actually the official title for the Prime Minister today. But he shared power with an older guy called Charles Townshend who resigned in 1730, at which point Walpole was able to sign the Treaty of Vienna. But, I mean, I mean, even before he was kind of leading, he, he introduced the sinking fund to reduce national debt. He stood up for... So, bear in mind, he was a Whig, and he was in government but not at the top of the government. He stood up for an anti-Whig preaching Anglican minister who the Whig government insisted on prosecuting against public sentiment. It brought down the government, and that's kind of how he rose to power. Rate right, right out of ten. Political <laughs> figure out of ten. ten. Um, six out of ten. Excellent. Thank you for listening to our first episode of Starpod Reviews. If you're interested in hearing more, stay tuned for our next episode, which will be whenever it comes out. If you want to keep up to date with all that we are doing, we are at Starpod on all of our social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. Uh, If you're interested in listening to Starpod, we are everywhere that you get podcasts. Thank you and goodbye.